We are in 1 Corinthians 14. We are continuing our series that we've been in over the last couple of months called Gifted for Love. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about who it is that receives the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, uh, those who declare Jesus is Lord receive gifts of the Spirit. So if you are a follower of Christ in here, you have received a gift or gifts from the Spirit of God for the purpose of building up the rest of the church. And last week, we talked about the importance of our lives being surrendered to Jesus. That uh, as we think through our position in the body of Christ, we will think of ourselves rightly when we are rightly surrendered to God and give our lives over to Him. And then we've been highlighting over the last few weeks some of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, We've looked at, I think, 12 or 13 of them so far. And so this week, um, we are going to look at the last couple that we haven't touched on yet, which is prophecy and the gift of tongues. And we're going to look at those in the vein of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, which is this vein of orderly worship. How does prophecy and how do tongues come into the church and how do we do it in the right way? And so we're going to be spending uh, this message on that because Paul spends the entire chapter on that. And so what I want to do before we get into 1 Corinthians 14 is I want to just give a definition of what prophecy is, give a definition of what tongues is so that we know what we're talking about. And I understand this morning, you know, if you are here and you're not a Christian, if you're here and maybe you're newer to faith in Christ, when you start talking about things like prophecy and tongues, you can kind of be like, well, what is this about? Uh, and so I'm just hoping to make it accessible this morning. Uh, and, and it's just this beautiful gift that God gives to his church and there's great purposes behind it. And so first prophecy, what is it? Uh, Prophecy in English comes from the Greek word propheteia, and it means to speak forth. It means to declare the divine will of God. And so prophecy is this ability to receive an inspired message and deliver it to others. And when you look at scripture, whether Old Testament or New Testament, you can see that prophecy takes many different forms. Right? Prophecy could be in the form of an encouragement to people or a group. Prophecy could be in the form of a foretelling of an event that is going to happen. Prophecy can also be a disclosure of a secret sin. God reveals something to someone that someone else is struggling with. This revelation of secret sin, it could be in the church or an individual. It can also be in the form of comfort. And so when someone's going through something, sometimes God will give this word of comfort specifically to that situation. Whatever it is, whatever form it takes, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 30 that it is a revelation. That's what he says in verse 30. Prophecy is a revelation from God. So my definition of prophecy is that it is a message that is spoken forth in human words based on a personal revelation from the Holy Spirit of God for the purpose of building up the church. That is what prophecy is in the New Testament. A couple of things to to note in regards to it, in regards to authority. Prophecy, unlike the Old Testament, does not have the same authority as Scripture. You had Old Testament prophets that would speak directly from the Lord. And the thing with prophecy in the Old Testament is if you got it wrong, you did. (laughs) Because you said you were speaking for God. And if you prophesy wrong, uh uh-oh. 
That is, not, that is not what New Testament prophecy is. We have the full canon of Scripture revealed by the Holy Spirit. And so prophecy is this word from the Lord, but we test it against the full reality of Scripture. It is not on the same authority as the Word of God. And part of the reason for that is that while, while prophecy is an infallible word from the Lord, it's coming through fallible people. And we don't always hear things right. We don't always communicate things directly. So we can never put it on the same uh, authority as Scripture itself. That's prophecy. And then tongues. We want to talk about tongues this morning as well. The gift of tongues is the speaking forth of a prayer. It is the speaking forth of a message that is spoken in an unintelligible language to the one speaking. They don't know what they're saying. It is also unintelligible to those around them unless there is someone in the gathering that has the interpretation of tongues, the gift of interpretation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he teaches that a tongue, unlike prophecy, which is spoken to the people, a tongue is spoken directly to God, not to men. And it is spoken in the Spirit in this unknown language. And even though it's an unknown language, the one speaking in the tongue is being built up in their spirit. They don't know what they're saying in their mind, but their spirit is being built up. So that is the gift of tongues. Now there's this question often in certain circles of Christianity. Is there a difference between a public gifting of tongues and a private gifting of tongues? Is it something that happens only in the gathering? Is it something that happens on an individual level? And I would say that both are true. That it is something that can happen in the gathering. It is something that can happen on an individual level. And Paul says that in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 14. He says, you know, if you have a tongue and there's no one to interpret it, keep it to yourself and to God. So there is a private speaking of tongues and there is a public speaking of tongues tongues. And so we're going to cover these two gifts this morning and what Paul says about them in 1 Corinthians 14. But before we dig into that, I want to give you a little bit of background on what's happening in the church in Corinth. And I've covered this a little bit in previous weeks. But basically what was going on in the church in Corinth is they were overemphasizing certain gifts above other gifts. And they were getting into this area where gifts were no longer being used for their purpose, for the building up of the church. Rather, gifts were being used for the status of the people. And I think from the way that Paul writes 1 Corinthians 14, it's pretty safe to assume that tongues were being elevated in the church above the other gifts. And so if you were someone who could speak in tongues, you were walking around the church being like, look at me. I'm a pretty special Christian. I can do something that you guys can't do. And it became a status thing as opposed to something that was meant for the building up of the church. Edmund P. Clowney, uh, he writes this. He says, the possession of gifts for service in Christ's church constitutes a call for their use. So Clowney's saying, the fact that there are gifts in Jesus's church denotes that they should be used, right? They should be active. But he says, we use our gifts in order to serve God, not in order to advance ourselves, not in order to attract the admiration of others, or even find satisfaction and fulfillment. 
So we are not receiving the gifts of the Spirit for ourselves to say, look at me, look what I can do. It's for the sake of those around us. And so what was happening in, in the Corinthian churches, those with the gift of tongues were just saying, look at me, look at me, I'm special. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, he doesn't discourage from the gift of tongues, but he clearly argues for why it should not be elevated above other gifts, especially that of prophecy. Because Paul wants all gifts to be used properly. And he begins 1 Corinthians 14 by trying to root the Corinthians in a important principle, the most important principle that they had lost sight of. The first thing he says in verse 1, pursue love. Above all else, I want you to pursue love. That is the highest priority in Jesus' church, and love must guide the usage of the gifts. And Paul's going to expand on this in 1 Corinthians 13 that we're going to look at next week as we conclude this series. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I am just noise. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Right? So you can remove mountains through faith, but if it's not rooted in love, oh well, it doesn't matter. So Paul says, first, pursue love in the gathering of Christ's body. And then, when you're pursuing love, you're in this right frame of mind, you're in this right place to then earnestly desire the gifts. He says in verse 1, earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so a question out of this church is, do we desire the gifts? Do we actually desire to see the gifts of the Spirit working through us, working in this place? I think it's something that gets lost in Christian circles a lot. This idea of desiring after the gifts of the Spirit. And so I want to talk about why. Like, why does Paul say that? Why should we desire the gifts of the Spirit for the gathering? And I'm going to give you three reasons why we should. First is that they are given for the building up of the church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should want the church of Christ to be built up. We want to see this church built up. We want to see this church flourish. And we want to see it spill out of these walls into this world where people do not know the beauty and the love of Christ. And that's going to happen through the building up of the church. And so they are given for the building up of the church. And then they're given to bless one another. They're given for that person that is sitting next to you, behind you, and in front of you. And Paul says in Romans 12.3 that we looked at last week, do not think of yourself higher than you ought. Or Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You ever think about that? That when you are practicing the gifts of the Spirit, you're thinking and looking to the interests of other people. 
if we're practicing them right. And the third reason is that in a lot of ways, it's going to be through the gifts of the Spirit that we pursue that love that Paul's talking about. So Paul says, be rooted in love, pursue love, and part of the way that we pursue love for one another is actively practicing the gifts of the Spirit. Because one of the, one of the realities of a gathering like this is, is one of the ways that I love you well is by teaching you well, by using that gifting that God has given me. That is me loving you. I mean, look at what Scripture says. Look at the beauty that is found in this book. Here you go, presenting it to you so that you may see it and just be like, oh, God is incredible. God is amazing. So that is how I try to love you as your pastor. And so what does it mean to earnestly desire these gifts? What does it look like? I love what John Bloom says in an article for Desiring God, he says, for the most part, the Bible is not a how-to manual. It holds out treasure to us and bids us to seek it out. And that's the heart we need to have when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Paul teaches all about it. He outlines the gifts of the Spirit. We see it clearly in Scripture. But it's not a how-to manual per se. There are some things where Paul says, especially today, this is how you do orderly worship. But like most things in Scripture, it's this idea of like, here, look, look what God does. Look what he offers to his people. Come, come get it. Come seek it. That is so much in the Christian life that God just lays it out for us. And we got to be like, okay, I'm coming. I'm seeking you, God. I'm seeking that. I want it for my life. And it's no different than the gifts. And so just four ways to earnestly desire. Begin with the Bible. Read about it. Understand them. Pray. Number two, pray and petition God. God, I, I want these gifts flowing through me for the sake of my brothers and sisters. I want to build up the church. I want to see your kingdom brought forth. Third, consume sound teaching. Learn about them from trusted pastors and teachers. Learn about them through testimonies. One of the most beautiful things in the Christian life is to hear the testimony of other people who have experienced these gifts. And you can hear what God does through them. That just builds a hunger in your life. It's the same thing when you hear about missionaries and what people are doing for God. I don't know about you, but that just builds a hunger in my life. Like, God, I want more. And then... Number four, meet a need. You earnestly desire the gifts, meet a need. And you may see that through that meeting of that need, a gift just kind of, ooh, I have the gift of encouragement. You see a brother or a sister who's struggling in church on the morning, you know what, I'm just going to go over and, and try and talk to them, maybe pray for them. And through that, you realize, man, I got the gift of encouragement. Right? Or someone needs something and, and you want to help them with it and you realize, ooh, I've got the gift of service. Right? These people who, when they serve, it's just like this touch of God. You just feel so loved. So meet a need. And maybe you'll discover one of the gifts that the Lord has bestowed upon you. And so Paul says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
But one of the things that I was wrestling out this week as I was preparing this message is, was that an exhortation just for the church in Corinth? Because of how tongues had kind of gotten out of order. And Paul said, no, no, especially that you prophesied. Was that just for the church in Corinth? Or is that for churches all over? And I think based on Paul's reasoning that we're going to look at, I tend to believe it's not just for the church in Corinth. It's for all churches. And I'll tell you why. In verse 2 to 5, Paul explains why he desires prophecy over tongues in the gathering. He says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So Paul's saying, listen, if you speak in a tongue, you're speaking directly to God from your spirit, and you or anyone else doesn't know what you're saying unless there's someone in that gathering that has the gift of interpretation. But the one who prophesies is the one who builds up, who encourages, who consoles the body of Christ. And we have seen repeatedly throughout this series, almost every week we've looked at it, what is Paul's singular aim? For the church. What is his singular aim when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit? His aim is the building up of the church. Everything to be done for the building up of the church, for the love of one another. And prophecy is this beautiful gift where it is the sharing of the Lord's heart with others. Like, how much more sweet does that get? And so Paul says, pursue especially prophecy. And so out of this, there's a, a, a bit of a principle that I want to just touch on um, in regards to how we determine what we do in the gathering. And I think how we determine what we do in the gathering is just by asking a simple question. Does it help other people? Very simple. Does it help other people, or is it just for me? Because if it's just for me, then we have lots of time through our days, lots of time through our weeks to have that moment with the Lord. But when the church comes together on a Sunday morning, in small groups, wherever it may be, whenever the church comes together, the question that every single one of us should be asking is, does it help other people? For that time that we are together, we put ourselves aside. And we go, I'm here for my brother. I'm here for my sister. How can I help them? What can I do? Can you imagine if we all walked into this place with that kind of heart? Right? There's, unfortunately, in, in Christian circles a lot nowadays, we come to church thinking, what am I going to get? What am I going to get out of this? We don't have to come to church with that mindset. You know why? Because God is here. The Spirit of God is here. And so don't worry about yourself. God's going to build you up. 
God's going to speak to you. He's going to encourage you. And I'm telling you, there's this sweet encouragement that happens way more when we're less concerned about ourselves and focused on a brother and sister. Like we end up getting just way more built up than when we walk in and go, God, what do you have for me this morning? It's not that that's bad. But it's so much sweeter to walk in and say, God, what do you have for someone else through me this morning? So earnestly desire the gifts. Love all prophecy. It builds up the church. But listen, Paul, he refuses to speak negatively about tongues. And that's important. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. He says later in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So, so Paul is in no way bashing this gifting. He is in no way saying it's lesser. No, all of the gifts are beautiful. So here's what I know in Christian circles. Tongues is a touchy subject. Let's just be honest. It's a touchy subject. Some of you right now are sitting here going, oh my goodness, why are we talking about tongues? Anything else, right? As I said to a couple of people this week, it's like tongues is like that awkward uncle at a party where you're like, I don't want to get stuck with him. Can't we just leave it over there and not talk about it? Right? <laughs> but listen, we, we should not have a negative view of it, okay? It's a gift from God. And so that means it's good. Like everything that he gives, it's good. It just needs to be done in its proper way. And I think that's where a lot of the struggles happen in Christian circles. Because tongues is one of those things that, let's be honest, has not always been done in the proper way. And really, neither is prophecy. It's been abused. Right? It's been taught incorrectly. There's been a lot of abuse around these in Christian circles. It wasn't just the church in Corinth that had it wrong. It's still a problem today. And so that's why some people are incredibly skeptical when you talk about prophecy, when you talk about tongues. I think what I want to say in very plain language is it doesn't have to be kooky. It doesn't have to be kooky. I'm going to, get a, I'm, I'm going to hear from Ryan for the use of that word later. He always judges my word use. Uh, and so I want to urge you, like, I genuinely want to urge you, kind of like Paul, that, that if you have um, kind of a tilt towards tongue in a negative light, if you have a tilt towards prophecy in a negative way, then, then I would actually urge you to do what Paul says to do. Earnestly desire them. One of the best ways to understand them is to earnestly desire them. And so ask the Lord, God, would you show me what prophecy is? Would you, would you show me what tongues is? What it's meant for? Because imperfect people mess things up, but we have a perfect God who gives good gifts. And so desire it. If you're skeptical, that's one of the best ways to learn. I can tell you, I was incredibly skeptical about tongues. I really was for so many years. And then I had this moment. I, I, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to earnestly desire it. 
And, and I had this moment where the Lord just bestowed the gift of tongues upon me. And I can tell you, it was this quiet, sweet moment in my room all by myself, just with the Lord. And to this day, it remains one of the sweetest moments that I've had with God. So just put aside some of the things that you've learned. Put aside some of the things that you maybe think you know and seek your Father in heaven. Paul continues. Verse 6. More arguments for why we should pursue prophecy. He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So Paul, basically what Paul's saying there is edification, building up, it needs to be done in an intelligible way when you're gathered together, right? It, pretty basic. If we don't know what's being said, we can't be encouraged by it. Basically what Paul's saying. And he uses some examples, like in music. Okay, music has a varied notes and they're to be played in a particular order. If you don't, it sounds awful. It's just a jumbled mess. Or the bugle, which was often used in military, uh, in the military realm, and the bugle would be used to communicate the commander's, uh, what are they called? Instructions, sure, we can, yeah, instructions uh, on the battlefield, right? And so if the bugle is played in some like, Nobody knows, are we attacking, are we, or did they just like, something happened with the bugle there, I don't know what happened, right? Nobody knows, are you attacking, are you defending, what are we doing here? It's unintelligible. Paul says there's many languages, right, and all of them have meaning, but I can tell you, if I go to France, and you start speaking French to me, I, I'm, I have no idea what you're saying. Bonjour. Okay, I... I <laughs> I grew up in a place where even the French teachers couldn't speak French. Like, it's just, I had no chance. I had no chance. And so Paul says, strive for what is intelligible in the gathering so that everyone can be encouraged. And then he gives a specific example in verse 16. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone join in that and say amen? Right? And that's what we want in the church. Like, if someone's giving thanks to God, we want to be like, yes! God is awesome. As opposed to, I don't know what they're talking about. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the person is not being built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather five words spoken with a mind in order to instruct others. So Paul wants the corporate worship to be corporate. So what does this mean? worship as we begin to wind down here. Uh, Paul says in verse 26, I think something really interesting. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. You know what I think is so fascinating about that? 
is that Paul makes the assumption that the gifts are active when we come together. He makes the assumption that when we get together as a body of Christ, that there is someone with a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, and these things are here. It's a matter of whether they're being exercised. Interesting. Something to wrestle with. He continues in verse 27 to 33. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three in each in turn and let someone interpret. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So Paul says, listen, if, if there are tongues amongst you, don't spend your whole time speaking in tongues, right? But let one or two speak corporately, as long as there's someone that can interpret it. And when it comes to prophets, let one or two speak. And then the other prophets that are present weigh what is spoken. When a revelation is given, I think what Paul was warning against here is in the church in Corinth, I think there was a lot of pride. And so there was constantly people trying to get in there, like, I got something from God, I got something from God. Paul's going, whoa. Okay, if one has a revelation from God, everybody else be quiet. Let that one speak. And then weigh it. Prophesy one by one so that all may learn. You have two or three people speaking at the same time. What, is, what are they saying? It should be done orderly. And I think that's one of the, the places where a lot of Christians are skeptical about tongues because, or about prophecy because you've seen examples where it is not done in an orderly way, where it's chaotic. Paul says, no. Let it be done in an orderly way. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So I just want to end. Um, one, of, one of the things I think I've realized through this series, uh, and we've got one more week next week, and then we're jumping into a new series, which everybody's going to love. Uh, ooh, a little teaser, a little teaser. Uh, it may just challenge us a little bit, that's all. Um, but what I've realized through this, this series is it's made me reappreciate the body of Christ and, and the giftings and, and the diversity that, that God brings to his body and how every single person has something to offer. And I think one of the things that, that I am wrestling through is, you know, how do you create space for those things? I think that's one of the big challenges of modern church is how do you create space in gatherings, uh, when the church is together, for men and women and young people to practice the gift that God has given them. Um, so, I mean, that's just to say, like, I'm kind of thinking through that, wrestling out, like, what, God, what could that look like? So just to, to share that with you, and I think that's going to be my, my task over a little while, um, because I want to be encouraged. I want to be built up, knowing that there are so many giftings in this place that the Lord has given each of us. And it doesn't always have to happen corporately. We have small groups, building each other up in small groups, or building each other up outside of that. 
when you're serving, maybe in your families or in communities or whatever it may be. Like there's so many opportunities, but how do we maximize those opportunities for the sake of, of the church? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you have made your body, um, how there is absolutely nothing like it on this earth. Our Lord, it is a glimpse of heaven. Lord, I thank you that you have gifted men and women different gifts for the building up of your church. Thank you for the uniqueness of each one. And Lord, we celebrate that uniqueness. I celebrate that there are men and women in here who are just incredibly good at serving. I celebrate that there are men and women here who are so good at encouraging others. That there are those who have the gift of mercy who just walk alongside people when they are hurting. Father, may we be a place where the gifts are used for the good of others. May we have a heart when we walk into this place on Sunday, when we go to small groups through the week, that we're walking into that place and going, God, how can I love my brother and sister who's with me? What can I do to help? Father, I think that we'll find that if we have that kind of heart, we ourselves will be built up through it. I thank you for how that works. Thank you for how your body functions. Thank you for each person in this room. I know they're precious to you. I know that Jesus died on a cross for each one. And I pray, Lord, for those here who maybe don't know you, that they would know that there is no more special place in this world than the body of Christ. Lord, that through the shedding of Jesus' blood, he invites us into the body of God. And we become your children. And we become your heirs. And you wash away our sin. And you make us clean. And I thank you, Lord, for what you have done through Christ. May you have all of the honor and all of the glory. In Jesus' name.